0: Welcome to The Data Chief. The Data Chief is a podcast for data and analytics leaders to share their personal stories and insights on technology, culture, and leadership. Economic shifts are inevitable. Understanding what is happening and to whom can help to quickly identify better solutions. To make the workforce more diverse and inclusive, companies need real-time data about global employment trends, And ADP is providing it. Chief Data Officer Jack Berkowitz shares findings of ADP's National Employment Report and much more in this episode.
1: The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.
2: Jack, welcome to the Data Chief. Finally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Finally, yeah, definitely.
2: Where are you joining us from, Jack?
1: Roswell, Georgia. So just north of Atlanta.
2: Beautiful place. Um, rumor has it you decided to leave New Jersey for some unknown reason, even though you and I have known each other a number of years. Why the move now?
1: Snow. <laughs> snow and family, right? But <laughs> snow snow was the primary thing.
2: Yeah, okay. Um, and you and I have worked, I said finally, because one, I just think payroll data is so interesting, but also you and I have known each other across multiple roles for both of us for a number of years. And what I can't remember is how did we discover that we have a love for this one certain New Jersey diner?
1: I don't remember either. I just know that, you know, I I was born in a small, small town called Riverside, New Jersey. It's where my grandparents lived. And then I grew up in Virginia, but you know, I think my parents lived there for a few months before they moved, and, and that was the place that everybody went in my family, um, you know, right there on the circle.
2: Yes, Ponzio's, Ponzios. For, for those diner fans, we're talking about Ponzio's, where I had my com- second grade communion celebration.
1: Is Ponzio's still around?
2: I actually don't know. We should have checked that. I haven't been to South Jersey in that area in at least a couple of years. We used to go down for swim meets uh, now when my kids were swimming, but uh, (laughs) already I've derailed us to to diners and data. I think it's a good combination. So tell us a little bit about your role at ADP now.
1: Yeah. So I'm the chief data officer. ADP is a super large company, right? So um, largest provider of HCM data or HCM services, product services data in, in the world. And I kind of have a two-faceted role. On the one hand, i um, the chief data officer of the corporation. So everything that chief data officers do uh, on the defensive side, so dealing with data security, dealing with data governance, common metrics, those types of things. And then on the offensive side as well, enabling our business units to build data products or to do an analytics, those types of things, but I also have another role is that I'm part of the product development organization, and so um, I have a team that builds products, um, whether it's workforce analytics or people analytics. Um, it's there's data products, there's all sorts of different capabilities on the product development side. So it's a really nice role because it's sort of a, a fusion of both of the skill sets or the interests that I have.
2: Yeah. So that's great. And when I think about payroll data, I think about how mission critical it is, how many people rely on these transactions, whether it's the direct deposits um, or what have you, but the reliability of this and the data volumes of this is key. Can you share a little bit about those data volumes?
1: Yeah. So, you know, in any given month, uh, in the US, we're paying something like 25, 26 million people, may even be more now. And, you know, around the world, it's, it's well north of 40 million people. In our data set, then, when you look at a rolling 12 months, you know, there's millions of people because people are getting hired and, and, and leaving and things like that. And it's everything and not just about pay, but it's also about the HR transactions, their benefits, their taxes, all that information comes together. ADP as a company will move, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's around $3 trillion a year by moving do- money from companies into the bank accounts of people or into taxes or things like that. And all that creates you know, billions and billions and petabytes and petabytes of rows of data. The thing about our data is, is that it has to be incredibly exact because you know, at the end of the day, it's about people and people rely on that money and and you don't wanna mess up somebody's paycheck. It's like the number one rule at our company, don't mess up a paycheck and, and, and we don't.
2: Yeah, yeah. You can overpay, feel free to overpay. Yeah, we can overpay. <laughs> but, but never but, underpay. Yeah,
1: you know, the very first phone call of somebody would be, wait a second, where is my however much? And so we're really, really on yes. the far end of accuracy and, and completeness.
2: Yeah, which is interesting because when I talk with a lot of data leaders, we do talk about data will never be perfect, but when is it directionally accurate? But sometimes the need for it to be that accurate depends on the use case, whether it's healthcare or payroll data.
0: Yeah,
1: that's correct. Yeah.
2: Payroll data is happening all the time, at least weekly, biweekly. Some people may get paid daily even if you're a contractor or what have you. But if you think about this, data also, the data you have is also an interesting economic indicator. And I understand that you also provide a certain level of data for organizations to look at these leading indicators in the job market. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so ADP, several years ago, formed up a nonprofit. Um, ADP Research Institute. And we actually provide data in the public interest. Um, and a lot of that is around payroll data. And so every month we issue a thing called the National Employment Report, which looks at private payrolls in the United States. We also have one now in Canada and one in France. And it tries to project what's happening not just in employment numbers, but even in wage levels. And so uh, we released one a couple of days ago and it showed us that you know people that stayed in their jobs Over the past year, their wages have risen about 7 percent. And so it's indications that companies can use to run their business. It's indications for people. And, you know, government authorities will use that to set policy as well. Um, We also have public interest data around employee engagement, public interest data around uh, diversity. And so um, because we have over a million clients, we're able to get a really nice view of what's happening and then people can take advantage of it.
2: Yeah, so that's fascinating data. I did have a look at what I was allowed to look at um, for the most recent uh, report closing in January. 106,000 new jobs or new payrolls added in the US alone. And this data is faster moving than what we would get from the government jobs reports. And I thought what was interesting too is where we see the most aggressive hiring, like hospitality. You referred to the um, pay increases. Is there anything else that maybe surprised you, either in the recent report, or if we go back to maybe the pandemic, some signals that you were seeing that maybe the rest of the world didn't yet realize was happening?
1: It was really fascinating during the pandemic because the value of the data was like right in front of me, actually on this monitor. The president, I think, closed the air borders around March 11th, and then within a week, we started to see the impact on people. We could see you know, massive layoffs or furloughs happening throughout the system, um, you know, millions of people losing, losing their jobs, or, or at least temporarily, and it disproportionately affected certain industries and certain people. And we could see it. So, you know, the obvious ones about transportation um, for for airlines and hotels, but we also then saw the impacts on, you know, truck drivers and other people really, really quickly. And then we saw really bad impacts from that. So because lower income people were disproportionately affected, we started to see pay gap uh, between males and females. So females were or women were more affected than than men in those layoffs. Now we've seen a nice increase, and actually the job numbers today are higher than they were uh, pre-pandemic. Um, and now we're starting to see other impacts, and our jobs report this week showed other impacts, other industries. Um, but it's a real-time indicator about what's going on in the world, and 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 the things that we need to do to correct, whether it's at a company level, at an individual level, or or at at the nation's level. So super interesting stuff.
2: Yeah. So, Jack, as I think about this, and I'm picturing some of the business leaders and other CDOs who would love to have access to this data, tell us a little bit about how you monetize this data and the way that it has changed uh, versus, say, five years ago when it might have just been a static report or an Excel spreadsheet um, that somebody would download.
1: Yeah. So... We monetize it through a few different ways. Um, first of all, I, got, I, I have to say that you know individuals are able to opt out so that their data is not included. And then if we do monetize the data, we, we have very strict anonymization and aggregation rules on top of the data. So you can't get an individual person's data and you can't find an individual person in our data. That would be impossible to do. That being said, we offer the data in a few packages. If you're an HR department, you can get it through a SaaS application, and you know with some preset queries about uh, or ways of browsing it, like in an interactive map, things like that. But we also have data files and data APIs that we make available, and those used to be you know sort of like FTPs or things like that. You know, people we literally had an FTP site. Now you can get those in the Snowflake Marketplace. Um, you can get those through Amazon. And their distributions of not just raw data, but or raw levels, but really curated information. Because the problem is, you were talking about earlier, people get paid in different rates or different cadences. In fact, we have people that get on-demand pay at the end of a shift. Um, and so, what we do is we we understand how pay periods work. We collapse it together. So then, you know, a company can take it for you know various reasons. We have real estate companies using it we have consulting companies using it we have you know restaurants like like fast food restaurants or or those types of things to do demand planning where should they put a restaurant for a location if they have a restaurant where do they what do they stock in that restaurant based on the income or based on the commute patterns of people so we have all that type of information lots of different distribution methods uh for people to consume
2: Yeah, that's great, both in how you aggregate and respect the privacy, but also work on those consistent definitions, data literacy, um, pay period, how does one define it? But I also like, I think about one leader who said to me that these data marketplaces and data sharing really is the end of FTP as we know it. But yet, I think habits die hard. So are you seeing people leverage the more modern ways of accessing this data? Or do you still see a lot of legacy processes and habits as people subscribe to it?
1: We definitely do, right? One of the things I run for the company is, is, is reporting. So it's, you know, old-time payroll reporting. But there's millions of reports that are downloaded and what those reports are, are file transfers to insurance companies or file transfers to retirement groups right so that they're doing business with and so we certainly see that we certainly distribute files still by ftp and yeah the data clean rooms and the data transfers are coming but it takes a really sophisticated organization right now to pull that so re- top level enterprise analytics teams are using these capabilities. But it's just early days, early, early days. In this. Yeah. So I think we're going to see it over time. But that, that spreadsheet, spreadsheet mashup use case that we all saw in the BI world 10 years ago, that hasn't gone away. And I don't think it's going to go away anytime soon.
2: Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it may not go away anytime soon, but I do think about the pace of change. And as Clayton Christensen would say, the rate of creative destruction has only gotten faster. So I think about those leading organizations who are working smarter and more efficiently. Are they just pulling further ahead, faster and faster versus those FTP and spreadsheet orcs?
1: Yeah. And you know what's interesting, right? I've been watching the reemergence of the semantic layer, you know, keenly uh. <laughs> over the past couple of years, right? And, and those, are, those are good examples because not only do they want to pull in the data, but they pull it in into a model that they've built by combining a lot of other sources. And so whether you want to call it a relational model or you're using semantic web graph technology, that's happening in these leading organizations again. Right. Um, yes. And you yes, know, pe- people. <laughs> so it's interesting to see the pendulum go back and forth.
2: It is. Well, so I, I do want to come back to a payroll question, but as you brought up the semantic layer, so this is where, Jack, you and I have to go back in time. We first met when you were at Tivio and then. I think we used to battle it out or have more heated debates when you were at Oracle. So I'm thinking about yep. the OBIEE foundation layer and trying to make that shareable. And I actually, yep. my colleague Sonny and I wrote this year that we think one of the new battlegrounds in 2023 will be the metrics layer, a more yep. modern term and technology from that semantic layer. So what's your opinion of this or how do you find it that that pendulum is coming back again?
1: Yeah. So even before Tivio, I, 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 earlier in my career, I was in the semantic web space. And I think you're going to see, I, I agree, it's the metrics layer is the ba- the battleground, right? And and you're going to see different opportunities there. You're seeing companies like um, that are classic BI companies, but also companies like C3AI or Palantir, you know, talking about ontologies and, you know, C3AI has a, a, a business model that that's the core of their business. And so you're going to see these things continue to evolve, but we're building metrics layers at my company for sure to serve our clients or our internal stakeholders. And, you know, the, the, the classic problem in a really big company is, is whose who's numbers is right? continues to be a challenge. And I, you know, I'm on these committees with a lot of CDOs and that's our job is to make sure that the number is correct. And so it, it'll be interesting, you know, is it DBT? Is it graph? Is it good data stuff? I don't know, but it's, it's something uh, that's going to win.
2: Yeah. Or, I mean, this is where, of course, at ThoughtSpot, we were one of the first analytics vendors to integrate with the DBT metrics layer. Um, And yet there's other innovations that I'm not allowed to talk about that we're working on that surprises me, this world of coopetition, let's say. Um, And I I think it does get back to, you use the example of pay period. If any one of these spreadsheets or reports has a different definition of pay period, that's usually where we get into the different numbers. And IT exactly. is used to owning that or used to have to own it because it was hard-coded in the database or in the load scripts. How do we get that closer to the business owning it?
1: Exactly. Um, Doug Lanay, who used to work with, who's at yes. know, West Monroe now, You know, he gives that yes. example of uh, sand glass jewelry, right? Now I'm not buying anybody glass jewelry, but you know, that's the notion, <laughs> right? That you take, you know, the data is sand, but at a certain point, you better make it into glass so that somebody can make jewelry. And I think that's a really good point that having the data either in the metrics layer or with the data, the description of what you intended or what what the meaning was is super important when you're trying to build, you know, the next generation of analytics. And this is hard. This is hard work. There's no simple way to do this.
2: And it has to, or let me ask you, do you agree, it has to get closer to the business owning that definition because they really understand the context.
1: Yeah, I I, I 100% agree with that. There's this new job title, data product owner. It's a product owner that knows data. Yes. But still, we better put that person really, really close to the business. My challenge or our challenge as an industry is we want to put it in the hands of the business, but it really it's still an analyst doing it. We really actually need to get it in the hands of you know, that sales VP or that financial officer or that HR. For me, you know, the CHRO or the HR team, I want them to really not just see the data, but own it, consume it, have yeah. the measures that are meaningful to them. And that's a really hard challenge, right? Because they have other jobs. They're not data experts necessarily.
2: Yeah, that's not their primary job. And this is where I want that ease of use. Um, I don't want it to be about the technology. I So we have to keep driving down the complexities so that data is part of everyone's job, but it's just another tool in the toolbox and not their primary job. As you went back to the CHRO, so one of the things in the payroll data that adp has worked on that i really appreciate from you as one of our male allies data can be used to lie and we have a lot of vanity metrics as it relates to diversity and inclusion reports and you brought up pay equity and this is across everything gender diversity racial diversity. Um, schools even, which schools you went to, the type of degree you had. Uh, I was very excited to see some of the work ADP has done here to get past the vanity metrics. Can you describe a little bit about that and the process to get people comfortable with looking at data this transparently?
1: Yeah, it's a great Great point. So ADP, one of the strengths of the company is the fact that we pride ourselves in the diversity of the company itself. Um, you know, our CEO is a woman. It's it's a wonderful place to work in the way we look at things. The thing we were hearing during the challenges that the company, the country faced a couple of years ago, was that point. The metrics and the things that mattered were just not meaningful to help companies make substantial improvements. So we took a look at it and we said, well, what can we do to help? And it wasn't like there was a business advantage. It was simply, we wanna help our clients help their people. That was the whole point. So we took a look at a few things. We, We knew this, right? Measurement is good. And measurement compared to the marketplace is good. Measurement in terms of understanding, not just distributions, but you know, relative positioning is is important for people because if you don't measure, how do you know you're making an improvement? So we were really looking yeah. at time series to this. The other thing is, as we talked about earlier, nothing's more meaningful to somebody than their paycheck. You could give them any title, you could do this, but if somebody's not paid equally, they know it, and they're not going to do their, their bring bring their best job in it. So it's a business imperative, but also for them personally, it's it's important right? And so we took a look at it and we said, how can we simplify all these calculations? How can we simplify everything? How can we use our benchmarking capability not just to tell you what somebody should be paid, but how can we actually give you benchmarking about diversity, whether it's gender, whether it's ethnicity? You mentioned some of them to me, military veteran. Turns out our, 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 our military members have a significant pay equity gap. It's a problem. And so we brought all that information together and we've interweaved it, not just as a report to the side, but as a set of planning tools and a set of analyses that people can use to take action. And it goes right into payroll systems. So the HR team can say, here's people that have a pay equity gap, not just internally, but actually against the external market. And then companies can take advantage of that. We really focused on making that simple for people. And what we've seen is this massive uptake in using this tool. And you know we're well north of a billion dollars, probably close to two billion now in pay equity gap closures by our clients. In other words, they're increasing pay for individuals to get them in an equitable place in terms of their pay. And so thousands of our clients have taken this step, affecting hundreds of thousands of people. Simply by using data, but without you know needing to go through all the the manipulation we did it for them, but boy, they see it, they take action, and that's that's a great benefit that we've been able to do.
2: I love that, Jack, that insight to action. what I don't love is seriously, our veterans are paid. Less, that's terrible. So um, I would like you to, if I can ask, I want ADP to publish that, socialize that and say, this is unacceptable. I think people don't, they just don't realize that.
1: Yeah. They, it's the problem with anything. You, you hit it, right? Vanity metrics. People just don't realize it. I, and, you know, the nicest thing about working in my space is when you make it apparent to anybody, I, I, I've never had anybody look at me, maybe they're being disingenuous, but I've never seen anybody say, yeah, I actually want this situation in my company. I've never seen anybody say, I actually want to pay people different and for no. any group. Yeah. You know, but you have to make them aware and you have to allow them to measure it, allow them to see it. And that's one of the things that we're trying to do uh, as a company. Now, look, we don't set policy for our clients by any means.
2: Of course we not. we give them
1: the tools so that they can make the decisions. And that's that's our job. Yeah. That's our role as data people.
2: A lot of it comes from, I think, unconscious bias. And even um, a data professional that I was advising, she I said, look, this starts right out of college. You don't ask for more. And her male colleagues were asking for more, negotiating better. And then all your pay raises, uh, subsequent years, they the gap just widens. So I do think when we shine a light on this data. Um, and do it without trying to hide where we have problems, we can evolve the industry together, which is great. Jack, you've been across many roles. You've worked as a vendor. You now are a CDO in an end user organization, let's say. And I love your cute dog for those of you watching on YouTube. Uh, wait, so now we're gonna skip. Tell us the dog's name. We like dogs. That,
1: that, was, that was Baxter. He knows how to open the okay. door. Um, yeah, that's Baxter, my Australian Shepherd. So. Yeah.
2: Oh, beautiful. So people will post a picture of Baxter It's uh, data chief listeners sometimes hear Doc barking in the background. Hopefully we'll get through this session and you won't. But um, going back to your long career in this space, what was maybe the impetus for changing, going from the vendor side back to ADP, let's say an end user side? And how has that experience shaped your role as a chief data officer?
1: It's been interesting, right? So why did I do this? I did this because I've been building tools for people. And whereas nine out of 10 were very happy, there was always this one telling me, hey, there's something better you, you, know, you could do. So I got a little jealous because they had data. And so in one way, it was, can I prove, you know, like, am I actually doing the right thing? Have I built the right tools? So there was a little bit of self-centeredness about this. Like, like, do I actually know what I'm doing? Ah. <laughs> so it's been really, really great because I'm able to use tools, some of which I built myself in previous jobs, as well as you know, tap the industry. Because as you know, we've, we've known each other for a while and I know a lot of people in this industry. And I'm able to bring some of the best tools together for us to be able to take advantage of as a company. I would say that, that it's been a big learning the problems that we all know exist with data transport still exist, right? They haven't been yes. simplified. The other nice thing for me is, is I still get to build product, right? You know, so I still have tens of thousands of people who are using my product. So I didn't, I didn't really leave that behind. I've kind of just expanded my remit, if you will. And actually, you know, I couldn't be more grateful to ADP because they embrace that too, uh, that was nice. They could have just looked for a kind of a normal analytics for 40 years inside of a, a CIO shop. Yeah. They purposely looked for somebody who was bringing a product angle to it to help the company. And so I'm really grateful to ADP for that opportunity. It's been wonderful.
2: Yeah. And to innovating. You can bring the innovation just as you innovated on the vendor side. You can innovate within ADP. Um, a That's lot right. of your innovation goes back to startup life. And given that I'm only four years in to startup life, and I think of you, as much as I went back, so you're going to know the real numbers, I think you worked for six startups, all of them got acquired. That's hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, I wish I could say that all of them got acquired in always the top of the market. But that's <laughs> the life in startup. Sometimes they don't. I think, you know, the, the thing about a startup is, and it's very hard, very hard work. You just got to keep focus as a team about what is the value that you're trying to create, right? And if you stay focused through that, the ups and downs, a couple of startups went through the big economic uh, turndowns, right? And we were able to weather the storm and pop out the other side. But you just stay focused on two things, right? The value you're trying to create in your clients and everything else just kind of fades away. You know, look, I'm like anybody else. I stayed up late at night thinking about whether or not... You know we would get a paycheck the next week or all that other stuff i've been through it uh repeatedly now knock wood i think in my career it's been a total of two weeks without a paycheck in 32 years maybe three actually if i think about it but you just keep grinding at it and eventually you you find your way i've thought often about you know the transition 10 years ago about or 11 years ago now about going from a startup to a fortune you know, to Fortune 200 companies, which is where I work now. And that was as hard, if not harder, than, do, than doing the startups, right? The startups was nice because I knew everybody, right? I was in founding teams, seven people in a room, yes. you know, on the whiteboards. That's wonderful. You know, I remember I, I went to my last, I went to Oracle and, and I went from, you know, Ativio, which is about 130 people to 75,000 people. Right. And yeah. within a few months, I was on stage in front of 5,000 people. Well, the previous company I was with had 130 people. Suddenly I'm on stage in front of 5,000 people. It was a different, different set of things to learn. But I, both, I, yeah. I encourage people to do startups. I encourage people to do both sides. I loved the startup life. Loved it.
2: Okay, good. But now you were ready for something more. Jack, let's <laughs> do a quick pivot. Um, and do a lightning round. So favorite activity when you're not working with data?
1: I love watching sports. I I used to like to play them, but I'm an old man now. So I love watching sports. I don't care what the sport is.
2: Old is a state of mind. You don't care which sport. What did you use to play?
1: I played baseball.
2: Okay. So favorite baseball team?
1: San Diego Padres.
2: Favorite football team?
1: Well, what's Washington now? Washington Commanders now.
2: Okay, if you were CEO for a day, what would you tell the data team?
1: Get with the business by 9 a.m. and stay with them.
2: Good, end it there. One word to describe chat GPT.
1: Fascinating.
2: Fill in the blank, data is?
1: Data is flowing, it flows.
2: It does flow. What kind of mentors or books, thought leaders, have inspired you the most?
1: So probably a couple. Edward Tufte, The Visualization. I got a chance to you know, meet him several years ago. He was amazing. And Randy Pausch, who's now passed away, who was a professor at Carnegie Mellon. People know him as The Last Speech, but actually... You know that was that was impactful, but but his early work on visualization and viewers, even when he was getting his Ph.D. at UVA, really impacted the way I think about how people use data. Those two writers and their work impacted how I think about how people use data.
2: Oh, interesting. Of course, Tufti, I follow his work, but I didn't realize that the last speech, Randy, was also in visualization. So I will definitely take a look at that. A favorite book that you're reading right now doesn't have to be data related.
1: And it's not. And so I, <laughs> I, I, it's sitting right here, actually. That's funny. So there's a guy on YouTube named Bo Miles. He's in Australia. And he's written a book called The Backyard Adventure. And the thing I love about him is you've got to watch his videos They're all like 10, 15 minutes long or maybe 20. He makes the most use of being in the present of anybody I've ever seen.
2: Oh, I like that. So, And we will include links to all of these in the show notes if you're listening on whatever podcast player. How about a song that just pumps you up, fires you up?
1: Well, I'm going tonight to see, you know, our New Jersey hero, Bruce Springsteen. And uh, baby, we were born to run. Has been with me oh, for I love years, it. <laughs> so uh, so that's one that that's always with me. Yeah.
2: Oh, that's great. Send a picture. Yes, I remember yeah. waiting up. Uh, it, so before there was Ticketmaster, we had to stand in line, right, in person yeah. for these tickets. So have fun. It took us a while to get you on the data chief, Jack, but it has been such a delight having you as a guest and working with you in different ways across the industry. I always like to end with a question. You can choose depending on your mood in the moment, but um, either something that has just made you laugh out loud or what are you most grateful for right now?
1: Uh, So you hit me with the emotional question at the end. So I'm most actually grateful knowing you and knowing everybody that have been on this journey together. So that makes me emotional. So I, you know, you meet people through your day, you meet people through your life, but there's people that you remember as you go. Cindy, you're one of them. There's a few others. And that is the most thing I'm grateful for, the people I've worked with.
2: Jack, that is so beautifully said. And yeah, I do feel the same. This this industry is an interesting industry. I often call it the great uh, data and analytics fishbowl. We might pop up in different roles, but we know each other. We respect each other. So Jack, thank you for being on The Data Chief.
1: Thank you. It's been great.
0: Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Data Chief. To learn more about today's guest, recommend a future guest, or hear more of the show, head over to thedatachief.com. If you have questions for Cindy or comments about the episode, give her a shout by dropping your thoughts on LinkedIn and tagging Cindy Housen. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Every review helps more people discover the podcast and helps us improve our content.
1: The Data Chief is presented by our friends at ThoughtSpot, the modern analytics cloud company. ThoughtSpot makes it easy for anyone to analyze your company's data with search and AI. Business people at companies like Verizon, CVS, Amazon, Afterpay, OpenTable, and T-Mobile use ThoughtSpot to quickly uncover new insights and turn them into action. And you can learn more at ThoughtSpot.com.